0: so good morning morning. a special good morning to the people whose faces i don't know Um, i want to start a little bit different this morning so last week at the end of the service someone in her church natalie came up to me and said you know god's put something in my heart i feel like i should share it with you i've been praying about it for a little while and then she shared with me some things that, that god's been revealing and they were very encouraging and I was like, that's awesome. I think the whole church needs to hear this. And so I've asked Natalie if she'll come up and just start by sharing that little bit of what she shared with me the other day, which I'm hoping will be as equally encouraging to you uh, as it was to me the other day. So, uh, so I'm excited to uh, <laughs> allow someone else's voice to be heard uh, and someone else who God is speaking through to share what God is saying. So let me give you this. Thank you. Thanks, Natalie.
1: <laughs> Thank you guys. I'm a little nervous so bear with me but um, when I read this it was just so encouraging and I felt like it was for not just for me but for the church collectively and obviously for our church but then just the church body as a whole um, it's from Haggai 2 it's when um, the Israelites have returned to Jerusalem after being captive in Babylon and they're rebuilding Jerusalem and um, they're really sad because especially considering the temple um, the state of the temple is just so bad compared to um, thank you <laughs> compared to what it was what it used to be. Um, thank you. Oops. Thanks. <laughs> um, thank you, guys. Um, basically they're remembering the glory of Solomon's day and how magnificent the temple was then and so they're lamenting even their little bit of progress that they're making on the temple Um, it's just nothing in comparison to what it used to be and it's really neat because God sends a lot of prophets to encourage them during this time and one of them is Haggai and through Haggai God says Um, encouraging them um, that he sees what they see, that he acknowledges their lament. He says in verse 2, Does anyone remember this house, this temple, in its former splendor? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. Um, But he doesn't just leave it there. He says something amazing to them in verse 9. He says, The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, and in this place I will bring peace. And how amazing would that have sounded to them? How in the world could the future temple be even better than Solomon's temple? Um, We know that was like the wealthiest time in in their history, of course. And really the fulfillment of that will be in the millennial kingdom when Jesus reigns from the temple and that the glory, he is the glory in the temple. But when I was reading it, I felt like I, I was amazed by that promise for Israel, but then also I felt the Holy Spirit say, this is for my church. And so I read it again, and you know, the first verse, really verse 2, does anyone remember this house, this temple? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and I think we rightly acknowledge that we have fallen short of what the church was in the early days. You know, right after Jesus ascended into heaven. But the amazing thing is what God is doing in us, not because of us, but by his spirit as Zechariah 4 6 says not by might, not by power but by my spirit I'm gonna read verse 9 again the future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory and in this place I will bring peace and that is really the work that he's doing in us Um, again not because we are any better or any different than the people of the early church it's never been about us we're jars of clay but we have this treasure in jars of clay and it's just it's just so encouraging to to know what he's doing as he's preparing us, the bride of Christ, for his return, for our bridegroom's return. I believe he's purifying us and unifying us and empowering us for that. And so it's just really encouraging. Um, so I just want to pray really quick. Um, thank you, Jesus, for purifying work you're doing in us. We're so excited for your return and want to be ready. May we draw closer and closer to you until that day. And may our Holy Spirit fill us each day and empower us to be the light of the world. May we be united as your church and as you and the father are one may we love one another and the world out of the overflow of love you show us may we take time to bask in your love every day and listen to your voice speaking to us throughout the day and follow what you say in jesus name amen and then i just want to leave you with one verse in closing um, that god gives um, the israelites it's verse four through six Um, he says be strong and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you just as I promised when you came out of Egypt, so do not be afraid. I think that's a great admonition for us going forward. Um, so anyways, thank you guys.
0: So awesome. You can applaud, yeah. I had to stick it in that holder over there, Right, right in there. Let's plop it in one of those. Well, thanks, Natalie. I'm like, I've got too many things in my hands. I can't take it. Uh, isn't that awesome? Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, you you probably are inferring, as I was, as she was sharing it with me last week. I mean, that's a message that was to Israel. It's a message to the church as a whole. But I, I sit with some of you and I hear the stories of where this church has been. Um, and numbers were bigger and and you were in the process of expanding and building this facility and then things took a turn that that no one was expecting. And so you can look back on the former days of glory of this house and that promises for us today that the future glory that he has for us as a church is going to exceed the glory that you saw in the past. Uh, And and I think that's exciting uh, and I hope it's a huge encouragement to you. So thank you, Natalie. That's I mean, that's hard to do so she took a risk to share it with me and then I saw the size her eyes went when I said do you want to share that with the whole church <laughs> and she's like oh and then she prepared it and was like I'm in so that is a just a, an example of what it looks like to obey the voice of the spirit and that's who we want to be as a church so let's keep pressing into this together. Um, Other caveat before we start, yes, pre-service prayer started this morning. Uh, I was excited, so I already said it to you. Thank you for showing up. I know there's people here that couldn't. That's okay. (laughs) There's permission for that, but it was an exciting time just to gather and call on God together. And and I I was talking with Ella about it. Ella says, did you hear me? I prayed. So she's she's out there, so I I can talk about her. So she, as as we're... (laughs) As we're, we're standing and I said, we're just going to take a moment to get started, just to kind of warm us up. Let's just popcorn prayer, some of the attributes of God. And I just hear this little voice over here go, hope. And, and she's like, did you hear me? I prayed. And I was like, she, she's like, I was so nervous. It's like, I was so nervous. And I kept, I kept breathing in like I'm going to do it. And then I'd be like, no, no, no. And she's like, eventually I just, I got the courage and I did it. And I looked at her and I said, you know the cool thing about that? She said, like, it just popped into my head. I said, yeah, because the spirit is in you and God wants to pour out hope in the community around about us. So he said, I know who I can use to pour out hope. So he whispered hope into you and you spoke it out loud and the minute you uttered those words, he poured hope into the community around about us. Isn't that amazing? One little kid issuing a word in response to the Lord transforms the community around about us. So we gathered, we prayed, our church will never be the same again. Uh, I am confident of that, you will see it. Uh, we get to walk forward in that, so, so it's exciting times. Anyway, right, now we now gotta fly through this, right? Fire hydrant, <laughs> no. Um, we are in this series, we're calling it SENT, we're working systematically through the book of Acts, and we're, we're really just asking the question, like who was the early church and what does it mean for us to recover the vision of being a sent church? We don't wanna be a church that stays in here, that huddles inside. How do we recover this vision of being sent? Um, And so this week we're looking at Acts chapter three. And I just wanna, before we talk about the passage, I wanna just remind us of the context up till now. So if at home, like I'd encourage you at home, be reading through Acts just over and over and over again. Uh, We're gonna be in it for a while. You could read a chapter a day and do Acts like probably six times by the time we get done with the series. <laughs> um, but, but just be reading at home to keep the context fresh. But I wanna, I wanna just talk you through context before we, we look at the words here. So, so just by way of reminder, uh, the beginning of Acts starts, Luke has written his gospel, and then he writes the, the sequel, the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, he's describing the continuation of the work of Jesus. So in Luke's gospel, he's explaining everything that Jesus did and taught. And then in the book of Acts, he's explaining now that Jesus is gone, this is everything that Jesus continues to do and teach in the world. And, and so the story begins with Jesus, he's risen from the dead, he's appearing to his disciples, he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. Um, and, th- and then there's this moment where he promises them, like, I'm going to go away, I want you to go wait in Jerusalem, I'm going to send power from on high, um, and just wait, it's coming. And so Jesus raises up into heaven. There's this ascension moment where he raises up in this cloud and it's a magical moment. And then the disciples are in Jerusalem. They gather together as the church always does in Acts and beyond. The church, the only thing they do, they get in a room together and they just start praying. And every day, multiple times a day, they gather as a church and they pray. And one day as they're in this room praying, all of a sudden there's a sound and fire falls from heaven Uh, and anoints each of the people there. They start speaking uh, the words that God's putting on their heart, and all these people from all these different countries miraculously start hearing the translation into their own voice, their own tongue. And then Peter stands up, the guy who denied Jesus, who was terrified to even admit association with him, in the middle of the temple precinct stands up and starts declaring the truth about who Jesus was and that this is the fulfillment of a prophecy in Joel that God was going to pour out his spirit on all people. Uh, And so at the end of chapter 2, we looked at last week, it gives this beautiful description. This has happened, the spirit's fallen, and now the church starts gathering. And they gather around the teaching of the apostles, around prayer, around fellowship, around the breaking of bread. Uh, And it gives this beautiful description of them going to the temple precinct every day, gathering in homes. And in this context, this community is transformed and a new way of people relating to God and to one another happens in their midst. So, so the passage that we're about to look at in chapter 3 takes off there. This is happening in the middle of this communal life that's resulted from the outpouring of the Spirit. Jews and Gentiles, men and women, old and young, uh, the, the healthy and, and the, the maimed, all gathering together as God's people in prayer. Uh, and, and out of this, these events happen. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 3. We're, we'll read the whole thing through. This is starting in verse 1. And and, and what we're going to see is is Luke's going to take time here. He's going to start out first 11 verses describing this miraculous event. Then he's going to spend essentially the rest of the time with another sermon explaining its significance. And and there's a little bit tucked in there about what the response of people should be as they respond to this message. So let's look at Acts chapter 3. Um, We'll read it, we'll talk about the miracle, and then I wanna look at some things that he says about Jesus and what it means for us moving forward. So Acts chapter three, starting in verse one. One day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them at the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us us, as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he'd decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name. And the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he'd foretold through the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing would come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who, is appoint, has, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel and all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. And then just jumping on to the conclusion that happens a few verses later. Many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So we're told there was about 120, 3,000 were added. People were being added daily. And all of a sudden the number jumps up to 5,000 in response to what God is doing. So, so this, this event, this miraculous healing moment is birthed out of the community that we were looking at last week. So this transformed community, gathering around the apostles' teaching, gathering in fellowship and mutual sharing uh, uh, according to the needs that people had, gathered in consistent, faithful, fervent prayer, gathered to break bread and remember the sacrifice of Christ, meeting in temple courts in public to declare God's goodness, meeting in homes and fellowship. In the middle of that, it says, and God showed up with signs and wonders. So, so communities happen and church is just living as they gather corporately, as they meet in homes. And in the middle of this, this event happens where Peter and John are out there and God does what Luke's been shown us. Jesus was on the earth healing and teaching. Jesus leaves, the spirit pours out and Jesus continues to teach and to heal, but this time through his church and power by the spirit. So this is just the continuation of what's going on There's a couple of interesting pieces that that happen in the the initial part of the passage where he's explaining this miracle, little geeky moments that I I always think are fun. I'm not going to give you Greek words here, but, but when he starts talking about taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. Instantly, the man's feet and ankles become strong. He jumps to his feet and began to walk. The words that Luke is using here are medical terminology that are very, very specific to parts of the body that only a doctor would know. So Dr. Luke, who wrote both of these, all of a sudden goes out of like, he doesn't use the normal word for feet. He starts getting super medically technical about both what part of the body was impacted and then even the word he uses to describe the transformation as medical words. So this is like, it's clear to commentators that a doctor is right in this. So, so it just verifies everything about what we understand about the truths of scripture here. Um, In this story, I mean, you've got this man. Every day, he has been carried to the temple gate to beg. How long ago did Jesus leave the earth, according to what we've just read? Days. So he was here for three years. He died. He raised. He appears with the disciples for 40 days. Then he ascends. So for days, this man has been brought to the temple where Jesus was teaching And hadn't been healed. Interesting, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, I'm like, why why didn't Jesus heal this guy previously? He's he's been there waiting, Um, and and so so he's it's a habit. I I think about the story. You know, they let the paralytic down through the roof. I'm like, there are people carrying this guy to this gate to beg. Well, for three years jesus would run around healing everyone and and why did they not put him on a mat and drop him down through the roof and have this guy healed i don't know um but i I just i think it's interesting jesus has probably walked by this person um why why he's not been healed before this we don't know but but this guy is here hungering for something uh, he he's sitting there trying to make a living by begging. And so as people walk by, he's expecting. He's expecting that something is going to be given to, to him by people. Uh, I think it's interesting this moment. It says he, he calls out to them, asking them for something. And then there's this moment where Peter's like, hey, look at us. Like, you're used to that, right, with, with the, the situation where you encounter beggars, whether overseas or homeless people begging on corners here in town. Like, they, they, they're like, their eyes are down. Our eyes are down. We don't want to make eye contact with them. They're trying to ask us for something we kind of avoid. Um, and there's this moment where, where Peter does something that we can be guilty of not doing. He notices the guy and acknowledges him. That's step one in being like Jesus. <laughs> when you see someone in need, don't avert your eyes. Don't look down call them to look. But, but he's, you, can, you can feel a shame. Like, hey, give us, give us something. And, 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 then, and then he probably looks down like embarrassed as it happens at the street corner, uh, as you, at the lights when you're driving up in your car and you see them hold up their sign and then you look away and they look away. And, and this moment, Peter's like, look at me. Like something important's about to happen. Look at me and the dignity of eye contact for a moment as he meets the person's eye and then says he's got something to give him. In this moment, he looks at the guy and, and, and we, don't, we don't know, it, it doesn't explain what the, mech, the mechanics were of what happens, but something happens in Peter that he knows he has more to give than what this guy is needing. He knows the guy's there looking for money, but he knows that what he really needs is wholeness. Um, And so there's this moment, look at me, and he says, silver and gold, I don't have. He probably left his wallet in the upper room, uh, and he's gone to the temple to pray, and he's like, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I want to give you. And then invokes the name of Jesus, the authority and power of Jesus, calls on the faith of Jesus. And this miraculous moment happens. He reaches out his hand. He picks it. It's so specific. Reaches out and takes him by the right hand and, and picks him up. The guy stands up and it says he stands up and starts walking. But it's not enough that he starts walking. He follows them into the temple courts where they were going to pray. And then it's like all of a sudden he's, he's walking. And then it's like, hang on, these things are working. Woo! Go, Jesus! Like, he said, Well, go, God, because he doesn't know Jesus yet. But, but this moment of like this guy who's been crippled, it, like Acts is gonna go on and tell us, it's about 40 years at least. This guy has been crippled, walking, running, jumping, and celebrating. Um, this beautiful story of the breaking in of the power of God into the situation. And again, when I look back at why did Jesus not heal him? Jesus would have passed him. Why are these people who would carry him every day to sit here, why were they not of to Jesus? Or did they? and something was wrong inside of him at the point that that he didn't get the healing that he was looking for, I don't know. But this moment, he's strategically positioned to be able to demonstrate to Peter and to John and to the people round about that the work that God was doing is continuing to happen in the world that we're living in. Um, I I just think that's spectacular. I uh, was reading one commentator, I was like, I just, I have to steal his words because I thought this was utterly hilarious. So first of all, in, in Jewish culture, like charity, giving money to people was a consistent part of their culture. So to stand outside of the church and beg, you're expecting generosity, and people would expect to give something to the beggars that were there. And they call it alms. And, and this commentator said, this guy needed healing for his, it, this, this guy was asking for alms, and Jesus healed his legs instead. <laughs> 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 alms and legs get it get it get it okay sorry I thought that was really funny clearly it was didn't go down as well for you guys <laughs> you see my sense of humor um, there's one one principle that I want to pull out of this story for us to reflect on before we go on and look at more about what Peter says about the person of Jesus and the principle is very simple you can't give what you don't have you cannot give what you do not have um, howard Hendricks says you can't impart what you don't possess and so you've got this moment where peter's standing there silver and gold i don't have like i can't give you because i don't have it what i do have let me give to you we're in this season as a church where we're saying what does it mean to re-envision who we are what does it mean to be a church that is sent out into the community We express the desire, we express the desire to see the community change, we express the desire to see our church change, we express the desire to see people rescued from darkness and brought into the kingdom of the son that he loves, but you can't give what you don't have. If your faith in Jesus is not passionate, you can't impart to someone a passionate faith. If you don't have confidence that God will move, you can't impart to someone confidence that he'll move. If you don't know the scriptures, you can't teach them to someone else. If you're not a person of prayer, you'll never be able to teach someone else to become a person of prayer. So as a church, we've got to keep coming back to this question. Like, do, are we imparting the things that we have? Are we putting in the work to know the word? To, to trust his word, to become cultivated in prayer, to learn the habits that we need in order to grow in our faith? Are we learning the skills to be able to walk someone from not knowing Jesus into new believer, into maturity in their faith? Because if we're not working on that, on that stuff in ourselves, we'll never be able to pass it on to someone else. And if we can't teach the truth of God to someone else, then we're never gonna be able to see miracles happen in our midst because <laughs> there's like kind of step one and then step two, you know? Um, God continues to want to pour out his power. Uh, and the question is, are you gonna situate your life and put in the effort to be able to gain what you need to have so that you can then offer it to other people? So are you in? <laughs> Do we want it? Do we want to be that kind of church? The answer should be yes. Okay. (laughs) Um, Another little side note in this passage that I just think is beautiful. In lots of stories and lots of talk about healing, the emphasis often gets put on the faith of the person who's requesting the healing. And there are scriptures where it says, you know, Jesus didn't do any miracles because of a lack of faith in the area. What I think is really fascinating with this story is this man wasn't coming looking for healing. He was coming looking for money. He thought what he needed in order to survive and get by in life was just extra money because he didn't have the ability to get it himself. And Jesus, working through Peter, takes the initiative to offer this person what he didn't even realize he was asking for. Um, This person clearly has cultivated a habit of expectation He's turning up every day, having someone carry him and lie in there, either in the shade of a wall or probably open in the sunshine, getting beat down by the heat, expecting people to give him some kind of financial provision or food. Um, And so at that level of expectation that he walks in, even although it wasn't directed to, to faith in Jesus and receiving his healing, that expectation that he walked in was enough for Jesus to work in, to reveal himself, Pour out his power and bring healing. So it doesn't matter where you're at in your life and what you're dealing with. It doesn't matter what the people out there are dealing with. The initiative doesn't lie with them or with us. The initiative lies with him. So again, the question becomes, are we cultivating the kind of habit? It's, it's why it was beautiful to have Natalie up here. She's cultivated the habit of seeking what God might be speaking and acting on it. And, and, and so if we're cultivating that kind of habit, then as God wants to move through us, he's able to move through us, empower us to do what it is that he wants to do. So we can't give what we don't have, let's start to gather the stuff that we need so that we can offer it to the people that are out there. Let me step over here. That's true, but here's the other part of this church. As a church, we have a lot. We have a lot of Bible knowledge. We have a lot of love and care for people. We have a lot of passion to see the community reached. And so this isn't now we gotta wait a while till we get all the stuff that we need to go out there. The thing is, you have stuff. People out there are asking for things that they think they need and you have what they really need. So silver or gold, have I not? But what I do have, let me give it to you. Let me give you peace when you're wrestling with fear about a pandemic. Let me give you peace and hope when you're wrestling about what political party is gonna be better for this country. Let me give you peace when you're looking at illness in your family. Let me give you peace as you're looking at your economic struggles. Silver and gold I don't have. I can't give everyone everything they need, but what I do have is the message of the gospel, the hope that it offers, and the transformation that your soul is longing for. So let's take the things we already have and let's pour them out on the people around about us. So that's verses one to 11, from 12 to the end of the passage. Um, Peter is, is explaining to the people, it's, it's a teaching moment. All good parents and all good educators know to capitalize on every teaching moment. This thing happens and Peter once again, the denier of Jesus, emboldened by the spirit, stands up and starts explaining and capitalizing on this moment to explain the truth. Uh, and he's, he's telling them that the reason this happened, don't look at us. Let me direct your thoughts onto the one who's causing this to happen. Let me further help you understand who Jesus was. And he's essentially gonna say, Jesus is the Messiah that you've been longing for. And in this sermon, he takes five different descriptions of Jesus. Um, Four of them are definitely Old Testament prophecies about someone. And in the Jewish thought, they would look at these and in many senses had them in their minds as different people. So he's gonna talk about the servant, the servant of the Lord that's in, uh, in Isaiah. He's gonna talk about the Holy Righteous One. We don't need to put him up right now. He's gonna talk about the Holy Righteous One. He, he's gonna talk about the Messiah. He's gonna talk about a prophet like Moses. Um, and so he's taken all of these that the Jewish people in their minds would have seen as different people or most likely at least a couple of different people. And he's bringing them all together and saying, look, every one of these things that you've been longing to be fulfilled were fulfilled in Jesus and are evidenced by this healing that's been poured out. So let's, let's look at the first one. He's building his argument using these five descriptions rooted in Old Testament prophecy. So the first one He's saying Jesus is the glorified servant. So in verse 13, he said, "'The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, "'the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus.'" Now, I wish our Bibles would change the punctuation. I I wish they would put a comma after the word servant and before the word Jesus. And here's why, because we we look at John 13, and Jesus is a servant, and we go, you know, he's gonna glorify his servant Jesus. But he's saying he's actually quoting old testament scripture that jesus that, that god is going to glorify his servant comma that person is jesus um so let me let me read you isaiah 52 into 53. as we look through these five titles or, or uh, descriptions of jesus i want you to see that these things are rooted in another narrative, a prophetic scripture that Peter has in the back of his mind as he's talking that is familiar to all of the people that would be listening. So let's see what this says. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. So in Israel, they have this understanding that Isaiah speaks these five songs about this servant of the Lord, and that this person is gonna be significant to the end time. And, and, And Peter's saying, look, this is Jesus. Look at the description. He will be raised, he'll be lifted up, he'll be highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see and what they've not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message and to whom has the, Lord, the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. We held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed we all like sheep have gone astray each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all he was oppressed and afflicted yet he did not open his mouth he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent so he did not open his mouth by oppression and judgment he was taken away Yet, who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. (laughs) What? One of the things that, that we miss out on by not growing up as Jews, they are brought up memorizing scripture. That they're meditating on Torah. There are passages about the Messiah, the suffering servant, the promised prophet that they grew up memorizing. So they're steeped in these truths. So when Peter starts talking and he uses the words, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, all of a sudden their history and all of these scriptural passages are jumping into mind. The God of our fathers has glorified his servant. And they're going, the servants glorified, like we know this passage that God is gonna raise up his servant and all of a sudden for for people that are learned, I mean, they're in the temple court, so these are people that are familiar with the scriptures. All of a sudden, their mind starts whizzing and going through the scriptures that they've got memorized. And isn't it interesting that he, he picks this passage, inspired by the spirit, my servant will act wisely. He'll be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. And then goes on to talk about this servant who was going to be pierced so that we could be healed. So he's looking at this man that's been a cripple. He's pouring out healing in this moment and goes, why is this happening? Because the servant was exalted and healing gets poured out. It's the thing that we've all been longing for. It's the thing that we've been reading about, meditating on, reflecting on. This moment is here. This is the servant. Jesus is the glorified servant that you have been meditating on. The second title that Peter calls on as he describes Jesus, he describes him as the holy and righteous one. And so in this passage, he talks about righteousness. If you jump back to Isaiah 42, which is another passage that talks about the servant, there's this moment where he he talks about the, the righteous redeemer, um, all the way through the book of Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah's favorite title for God is the Holy One of Israel. So as, as Peter's rhyming out these quotes and allusions to this passage, he's drawing on the heritage of what they understand of Isaiah. This is the servant who was glorified. This is the righteous redeemer that, Israel was, that, that Isaiah was promising. This is the Holy One of Israel, And that's only ever used to refer to the Father. So there's this moment of, what does that mean? Because they're united. Um, And so he's, he's, with every part of this story, as he's saying, let me explain how this healing happened. He's drawing on this history and heritage that they have to prove that Jesus has fulfilled all these things that were promised. The third one that he goes on to talk about, he calls Jesus the author of life. You know, I, I, again, if you're anything like me, you're, when you look at these passages and think of these terms, other passages of scripture start jumping into my head. In the beginning, God creates, and then it says he breathes life into humanity. Uh, God as the, the breather of life. Jesus, the one who's raised from the dead to offer new life and eternal life to us. He is the author of life at the beginning and in his resurrection. Isaiah 42, another suffering servant passage. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. This is what the Lord says. The creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth and all, all that's springs from it. He gives breath to his people and life to those who walk on it. So another suffering servant passage that talks about being the giver and bringer of breath and life, and in Greek the word here for life, the words life and breath are connected. And so Jesus here is this author of life, the one that breathed life at the beginning, the one that is offering new life now, the one that will continue to be the source of life as we move forward. Here's the crazy part of this. Every day we reject the author of life and pursue things that bring death. Every single day. Jesus is the one offering us abundant life and every day we reject him. When you choose alcohol, instead of Jesus, you're choosing death instead of life. When you choose to comfort yourself with food instead of Jesus, you're choosing death instead of life. When you you choose a, a, a job, power, status, money, instead of Jesus, you're choosing the things that bring death instead of life every day. We reject the author of life multiple times in favor of things that cause death. When we refuse to come to his word for truth and guidance, we choose death. When we choose to share something about someone else, we choose death. When we choose to speak negatively about someone, when we choose to uh, spread lies and untruths, we choose death over life. We have been offered to us, the author of life, and multiple times every day, we reject it in favor of things that cause death. And, and here's the hard part. In the church, we don't like to admit it. So we like to think the people out there choose death. We choose life. And so now we come and we bring life to those people out there who are walking in death. No. No. We walk in death as much as them, and we come alongside them and say, here are the ways in my life I choose death, but Jesus offers life. Let me show you the ways in your life that you're being blinded, thinking these things bring life when they don't, and let me introduce you to the offer of the abundant life that you're hungering for. The fourth title he uses to refer to Jesus is the suffering Messiah. his words, he says, this is how God fulfilled what he'd foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. In Jewish thought, you had the suffering servant, this character in scripture that God was gonna use and he was gonna suffer and he was gonna struggle and he looked a lot like kings and prophets that had come. And over here was the Messiah, this political leader that was gonna come reign on the throne and reestablish Israel in all its glory and splendor. What the people weren't expecting was that the suffering servant and the Messiah would be the same person. And what Jesus is, uh, what Peter is explaining to them in, in these summary sermons is that that suffering servant and that Messiah were the same. This is the suffering Messiah. And that means that everything that was promised over here that you thought can't be Jesus because he's supposed to look like this that made you say that can't be the Messiah so we're gonna kill him. You misunderstood what scripture was saying. This is the same person. And so he, sa- he looks at them and he says, you in ignorance killed the Messiah because he didn't look the way you thought he should look. And then there's this moment as he invites the response. You know, every day, we choose death instead of the author of life. Every day we're complicit in crucifying the Messiah. Every time we do something that goes against God's will, we're complicit in being the nail that went through his hand. Um, So as, as, as Peter is explaining to them, you're guilty of this, we're just as guilty. So then he gives them this instruction, what do you do? He told them, repent, turn back to God, he'll wipe out your sins. We'll look at that in a little bit in a minute. <laughs> Number five, the final title that he uses to describe Jesus in this sermon is a prophet like Moses. This promise that Moses gave that one was going to become who would be a prophet like him. Listen to him. Because if you listen to him, you'll have life. And if you reject him, you're going to be cut off from your people. And so they're waiting on a prophet like Moses. What did that mean? It meant a a person who was going to bring the truth. A person that was going to reestablish God's covenant community. A person that was going to walk in a level of intimacy unlike the average person on the earth. A person that was going to invoke the power of God to transform the nation round about. And a person who would be the fulfillment of the promise given way back to Abraham that through you all nations would be blessed. Moses set up this system uh, that, that allowed them to, to govern life as God's people so that they could be blessed, so that they could bless the nations round about. Jesus is the prophet like Moses that comes bearing the word, that comes inhabiting the word, that comes revealing intimacy with the Father, that comes revealing a new way that the church was supposed to operate. He came to, to establish a new way that God's community would function in the earth and to blow open so that all people would receive the blessing that was promised through Abraham. And ultimately, just as Moses was the one that led Israel into the promised land, Jesus comes to be the one who leads us into the ultimate promised land where we have his presence and goodness and glory and all the blessings that were promised. So you have this miracle moment, a spur of the moment, offhanded thing as Peter walks by, sees the guy and offers him what he has. The power of God to transform and bring healing and wholeness to his body. The life of Jesus flows through the Spirit into Peter and out into this man's life and transforms him. And that becomes not the focus of the attention, but the object lesson to be able to explain that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that you've been longing for. He's the suffering servant. He is the Holy One of Israel. He is the righteous redeemer. He is the Messiah. He is the author of life. He is all of those things. And because he suffered, and because he was raised to the right hand, as Isaiah 53 says, he takes the spoils and he divides them among his people. And what are the spoils that are given to us? It's the Holy Spirit poured out the life of Jesus, the healing, the wholeness, the transformation that he's offering. As they grasp this, they're changed. And Peter offers this invitation to repent. Repent so that times of refreshing can flow from the Lord into your life. The act of repenting invokes God's promise of refreshing. So when you're sitting here and and I have these conversations with you, you want something new in your relationship with God. You want something new for this church as we walk forward. We want times of refreshing individually and together. We want times of refreshing for our community. So where do they come from? From repentance. As we cast ourselves on him. uh, As we acknowledge the ways that we choose death over life. As we acknowledge the ways that we fall short and we ask his life to fill us, then times of refreshing can come. I want to finish with a quote by a Jesuit priest um, talking about repentance. <laughs> True repentance is not really about our sins as it is about being given a forgetfulness of our sins and of ourselves, because we become preoccupied with God and God's goodness and God's quality and God's depth of life and beauty. Repentance, if I may put it this way, is a uniquely human way of praising God produced in us by God's choice to appear to us personally, courteously, and powerfully. The invitation to repent was a response to the revelation of God appearing personally in the person of Jesus. Um, And so if we want to move forward as a sent church, we gotta keep asking God to give us revelation of who he is We've got to keep asking them for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and who Jesus is. And then we've got to walk in repentance and allow the refreshing to flow through us. So when the people out there need refreshing, silver and gold have I none, but what I have, I give to you. Get up and walk, let me pray. God, you are ah, you're good, your scripture is amazing. But thank you for recording this for us to see and to understand. Thank you that you're moving. God, thank you that you're moving in this church. Thank you that you're stirring in us. Thank you that you're pouring out times of refreshing. Repentance is not just saying sorry, it's changing the way that we act. And we are. We're gathering to pray in a different way. Lord, we're gathering with each other in a different way. We're doing leadership in a different way. Um, so Lord, we are repenting and asking for these times of refreshing to be poured over us. God, as a church, we want to offer times of refreshing to the community around about us so help us to be captivated by you to turn our eyes to you to reject the things that bring death and to offer life to the people around about god we, i i don't want to sit in a room uh, and worship and listen to a message and then go home and be done god i want us to be your agents transforming this world so pour out your spirit pour out your spirit afresh transform us And let us be your healing agents in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.